So if your boss were to say to you, assuming you have a boss, if your boss were to say to you, I've got an opportunity for you, would your response be, oh yeah? Or, oy vey. <laughs> you know, like that's how we think about opportunities, you know? Is it something that's real or is it something else? As a United Methodist pastor, um, you may not know this, but uh, we are, Methodist pastors, are appointed to a church for one year. And each year, uh, we get either reappointed or moved to uh, another church. And uh, so this is that time of year where the bishop and the superintendents are meeting to begin to set the appointments, as they're called, uh, or assignments. And um, so... Many of uh, many Methodist pastors are now sitting anxiously by phone, hoping not to get the call where the superintendent says, "Hey, I've got an opportunity for you," because that means one, you're moving, and two, we're probably sending you to a mess. Um, so I don't anticipate moving. They've left me. <laughs> oh, stop. Only because you don't know what's out there. <laughs> there are some awesome pastors out there, and fortunately you don't know who they are, so you think I'm worth clapping for. Like, and frankly, they don't know what to do with me anyway. Like, where would we send bills? I don't know. So anyway, so opportunities, right? The, the dictionary says that an opportunity is a set of circumstances uh, that allows for progress. That's a dictionary definition, a, a set of positive circumstances that allows for progress. A real opportunity is a good thing. It's, it is circumstances that allow for progress. It's a, it's a cool thing, it's a good thing, it's something that we should say, oh yeah. So we're talking in this three-week series about opportunities to talk about your faith with somebody or someone who does not share your faith. This opportunity to talk about your faith. It is a positive thing. It, it may, in your mind right now, it may be inconceivable, it may be terrifying to think that you would actually have a conversation about what it means to you to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, that, that, that that's never a conversation you could imagine yourself having. And uh, so I want to say to you that um, this, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity because you may have the chance in having a conversation like that to give birth to a whole new life for somebody, to introduce them to uh, a faith that will soon become their own. That that conversation may lead that person to a place in their lives where they are, uh, become Christ followers themselves and it changes everything for them, including their destiny. So it is truly an opportunity. I know that there are others of you who um, evangelism is kind of in your gift mix, and so you're thinking it's about time, Bills, that we had this kind of conversation, and uh, you're looking forward to it. It's three weeks. Now that I've told you what it's about, don't not come. All right? For those of you who think I'm never going to have this kind of conversation, don't not come. We know that you're here now. We'll come find you next week if you don't show up. All right? Um, 
But no, it's, it's an opportunity. So we've got this wonderful thing that one of our uh, members made for us. It's um, this scroll-like thing, and it says, be ready, and it's a reference to a scripture from uh, Peter's first letter. So it's First uh, Peter, and it is uh, the third chapter, and I wanna read just a portion of verses 15 and 16. The words are on the screen says this, Peter writes, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Always be ready. If you have an opportunity, if someone asks you, be ready. Be ready to talk about your faith and to do it in a respectful and grace-filled kind of way. So that's, that's kind of a theme verse for us over these next three weeks. This is about being ready. And really in the readiness, it also helps you to kind of clarify some things as well. So it's not just about how you might share it with others, it's how you process it internally and in your, uh, in your own thinking as well. So the Apostle Paul wrote a similar kind of thing as Peter did. Uh, he wrote this to the church in Colossae. So it's the book of Colossians. And in the fourth chapter, Paul wrote these words. And again, you can follow along on the screen. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many what? Many what? Opportunities, right. To speak about the mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most out of every what? Out of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So just really interesting, the, the similarities of these two things. Notice where both begin. Both Peter and Paul begin with my faith, with your faith. Peter said, worship Christ as Lord. So we're in worship, not just this, but, but your life is an act of worship to Christ. That's, that's where you start. Paul says, be devoted to prayer using both mind and heart. Prayer. Worship. We can't give what we don't have. So before it's about anything that you share with others, it's got to be real for you. And so as you worship Christ, as you worship privately as well as corporately, as you pray privately as well as corporately, you are investing in your own faith. And that's where it starts, developing, growing, maturing in your own faith in Christ. The next thing that, that 
Paul says is that we are to live our lives before non-believers wisely. Live before, in the, in the midst of non-believers wisely. In other words, you're gonna be out in the world You know, we're not supposed to live our lives in church, in the holy huddle, as I like to call it, right? We're supposed to be living out in the world among people who don't believe, and we're to live wisely. What does it mean to live wisely? The idea is that we are to live our lives consistent with our faith. There's two kinds of wisdom the Bible talks about, worldly wisdom, and we have that phrase as well in our culture, right? This, this guy is wise in the ways of the world. You've ever heard that? This person is wise in the ways of the world. That's a kind of wisdom. But there is also godly wisdom, wisdom in the things of the kingdom of God. And so true wisdom isn't just knowledge about these things, it's about putting that knowledge, that information into practice to do the things that we are called to do that that we are learn about in our faith. So in other words, don't just talk about forgiveness, practice forgiveness. Don't just talk about trusting God in everything, trust God in everything. You know, that's what Heather was sharing with, uh, with us about a few moments ago. You know, trusting God with everything, including our finances, that I trust God with that too. And so as we live wisely, as we live out our faith, It's infectious. It's curious to people who are watching that, who may not share your faith, but are watching you live out your faith. You know, like, why do they do that? Why are they acting that way? Why why do they talk differently and so forth? What, What is different about them? There's a guy I knew uh, years ago. His name's Larry, and uh, he was a, a New Jersey state police officer. Um, he's retired now, but, but uh, when I knew him, he was an active duty uh, state policeman. He looked like a state policeman. I mean, he was big. Like, he was this big dude, you know, he had the short cropped hair and no neck. Um, you know, just, just a big, big guy. If he walked up to your car on the highway, you know, pulling you over, you'd be like, yes, sir. Whatever he said. So that, he was that kind of guy. But he was a devoted follower of Christ. And so I would see him every week in church. Um, he was part of a small group and he was, you know, learning scripture and so forth. Um, he had a kindness about him. He cared about people. He got involved in a ministry at the church, um, visiting people who were uh, sick or who couldn't leave their home for some reason. And so he would go and visit these folks and he loved to just um, talk with them and listen to their stories and pray with them. And um, that's the way he lived out his life. And it was so infectious. He was such a genuine guy that it evoked in people a desire to know what is it about him that's so different. And he had lots and lots of conversations with folks about his faith in Christ and inviting them onto the journey. So, so it starts with your own faith and then it's about living wisely. So before it's words, it's actions. Can people see in you your faith? Is that a real thing before it's words? 
And then when we get around to words, when we actually start to speak, that our words are grace-filled. Our words are respectful, humble. Our words are kind. So we're not just talking to folks about our faith. We're talking in a specific kind of way, right? That we're honoring people, we're respectful of people, we're, we're speaking with a kind of gentleness in these conversations. And I know that for some, that the whole idea of, of sharing your faith is in, in their minds, it's like I'm trying to sell somebody something, right? We are not selling soap. You're not trying to convince somebody to, you know, use your, your products, right? And that somehow if you make the sale, you know, you get a bonus or whatever. It's not that. We're not selling people anything. We're simply sharing about faith. And I know that I say this in a context of our current culture where the ethos of this culture is anything but gentle and respectful and using words well. Is anybody resonating with this? Right? Now I know that we tend to think that, well that's all about the politics and, and you know, those politicians and those political people and those, it's all those people out there. But it's not just in politics. It's pervasive in our culture. We use our words to divide. We use our words to attack. We use our words unconcerned about how they might affect someone else because we want to make our point or we want to refute the point of somebody else. And of course, I'm talking mostly about how we do it on social media because in that environment, people will say things that they would never, ever say face to face. So it's not that. We have to use words differently as we talk about our faith in Christ. That our words are, are to be grace-filled and respectful and appealing enticing, if you will. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, used the words that, that, that people would be able to respond to them because his words were attractive. Right. We have great news to share and our words can and should be attractive. So, and again, you know, I, I'm not just pointing my finger at the world. You know, because this same thing is happening in the church, unfortunately. We're allowing the culture of society to influence how we talk to each other in the church. And that grieves me that we, and I'm, you know, talking broadly, we, I'm not talking about us here, because certainly we would never do that, right? Um... I got a phone call last week. Somebody who um, said that they were looking for a new church and uh, so they were calling around to ask questions before they came. 
great. And uh, so really the person only had one question. It was about one topic. It doesn't even matter what it was. Um, but they wanted, you know, a simple answer. And it wasn't a simple question and it required more than a simple answer. And as I began to talk about, talk about it with this person, he went from zero to 100 in about 15 seconds. From, we're talking about, yeah, I, I understand about love, but what about this? And as I talked, boom, I mean, it just went cataclysmic and ended up by cursing the church and hanging up the phone. Yeah, I understand about love, but So it's in the church and, and we need to guard the way that we speak to each other because it's better to love than to be right. The Bible says it's better to love than be right. And if you're wondering about that, check out 1 Corinthians 13. Anyway, so that's what we're gonna be talking about. That was all intro. into the series. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at three different stories uh, over these three weeks and, uh, and how Jesus talked to people about faith, okay, and what we can learn from Jesus. Okay, so you ready to get started? <laughs> and I promise I'm going to end on time if you're freaking out like, holy mackerel, that was the intro? So, uh, I'm going to be looking this morning at Nicodemus, the story of Nicodemus. It's found in the Gospel of John, the third chapter, and uh, so I just want to look at a few of these verses from uh, John 3. It starts by saying this, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, that tells us a lot about Nicodemus, that one sentence. He was a Jewish leader and a Pharisee. So that means this guy was highly educated and not only was he highly educated, but he was out in front of those who were highly educated. He was a leader among the highly educated. So already, if you're highly educated in that culture, you're already kind of in the elite. If you are a leader in that group, you are you know, at the super elite kind of level. He's a Pharisee, so that means he is a highly disciplined individual, highly trained, highly skilled, very devout uh, to his Jewish faith and understanding of what that means. He is a leader. This is a highly successful guy. And chances are he's financially stable, right? He's financially stable. So he's got all of this. He's a highly successful person. Here's the thing. Highly successful people are people. Highly successful people are people. And so there's a temptation to think that somebody who is successful, somebody who's kind of uh, got leadership positions and 
you know, all the right pedigrees and education and all of that kind of thing and um, are got big jobs and um, live in nice homes and drive nice cars and wear nice clothes and all that, they must have it all together, right? Because they're highly successful. They are people. And I've had the privilege over this, my ministry um, of speaking with scores of highly successful people and recognize that they are people with all of the same troubles and struggles and hardships that people have. So you don't know what's going on in somebody's life just because they have all of the appearances of success. Everybody struggles with questions of, am I good enough? What if they find out this about me? Why can't I get this relationship right? Why do I struggle with this addiction? Why are my kids struggling so much? I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my job. All of those things, you know, and so many more. It's people. And so the temptation is to think there's a group of people, there are kinds of people that aren't interested in the big questions that our faith gives response to. And it's just not true. Even somebody like Nicodemus had questions, deep questions, that he, was, that he needed to work out. All right, so that's... Verse one, verse two says this. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So I wanna stop there, right? Nicodemus, this guy comes, he comes after dark. I think there's a practical reason and a kind of a metaphor around this darkness thing. The practical thing is he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. Jesus was not well received by the religious elite of the time. He didn't come through the right schools. He didn't have the right pedigree. He didn't have the right training. Um, He didn't speak their language and so forth. And yet he seemed to frustrate them anytime they challenged him. People were excited about Jesus. They were following him in droves. And so all of that drove them crazy. And so Nicodemus, being a part of this group, didn't want to be identified as speaking with Jesus. So he comes at night. He comes in the dark. And I thought, as I thought about and read that, I thought, you know, there's people that you know that are going to be like that. They're not going to come to church. You should still invite them, give them the card, but they, you know, they're not going to come. They're not going to come to a Bible study, but they still have these questions. They want to maybe have this conversation under the cover of darkness. So it's not about coming to a public place like this. Maybe it's a pub or a coffee shop or a restaurant or your back deck. They want to have the conversation, but they just don't want to be seen as, you know, like I'm, I'm not one of them. The other part of the darkness thing is darkness is a metaphor for being lost for not knowing where you are. 
And I think that that's kind of what was going on with Nicodemus. Like he knew what Jesus was saying sounded right. It was contrary to the stuff that he knew. And so he was in a kind of a fog and a darkness trying to figure it out. And so here's what Jesus says to him. This is good. Verses three through seven. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. Now this phrase or these words, born again, may be familiar to some of you, may not be familiar to some of you. But they are words that kind of fell out of vogue for a long time. Because back in the 70s, and you know, now I'm fully dating myself, I was a child, but back in the 70s, this, these words became hyper-politicized. They became a way of identifying a particular kind of uh, faith, an approach to the Christian faith, and how that translated into the political realm. And so it became this very negative kind of idea to be talking about born again. And so it stopped being used widely in, in many churches. But none of that has anything to do with what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, you must be born again, born of the spirit. What does that mean to be born again? And so Nicodemus is like, I, you know, seriously, born again? What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is saying, you have to start over. You have to start new, just like an infant. You've gotta start brand new. Now, you guys, you use computers, right? And so you've had that experience where you're working on a software and it kind of gets all slow and goofy and it's not working right and so forth. What do you do when that happens? You reboot. Jesus said you must be reboot <laughs> again, right? You have to turn it back off. It has to go through, it has to go all the way back to the beginning. Start fresh, start new from a spiritual perspective. Human beings are not just a brain and we're not just a body, we are a spirit. And so we have to start anew, be born anew like a child. So I shared this with you last week, I wanna share it with you just really briefly again this morning. Um, this whole series, the, the genesis of this series was there was a, a guy uh, here at the church, a business guy, and uh, he said, you know, I, I wanna be able to talk about my faith, but you need to give me the elevator speech. 
Have you heard that phrase before? You know what an elevator speech is? That's, you know, if you're in business or something and you have this client and you're in an elevator, how do you pitch your idea or sell your product when you know you have like a minute on the elevator? How do you condense it down to its essential? So that was the question we got asked. Like, that's a great question. How do we how do we do that? So there's there's a number of ways that that we can do that. Here's one. It's three words that are like touchstones about what Christians believe: made, marred, remade. Made, marred, remade. We are made in the image of God. We were created by the Creator in. God's image. Male and female, the Bible says, we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made by God. We are not here by accident. It's not a mistake. It wasn't some cosmic explosion. We are here made by God, designed by God. That was, that image of God in us was marred by sin. That sin is this desire to live life on our own terms, not in obedience to God, but believing that in effect we are God. We're gonna live by our own terms in our own way. And that desire, that sin lives in everyone like a cancer that we all carry around in us. And it's the reason the world is so screwed up. You wanna know where evil comes from and the root of evil and so forth? It all goes back to this thing called sin, this brokenness between human beings and God. So that image of God marred by sin. And we all see it lived out every day in the world and really in our own lives as well. And we get remade, born again, when we accept Christ. Going on in, the, in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus in the 16th verse says, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Remade. What do we say about what it means to be a disciple here at Hope? A disciple is someone who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We're in this process. We have been born again, and just like a child grows and matures, our faith grows and matures. It's a process. That's the nature of the Christian faith. Now that doesn't answer all the questions, right? If you were to share that with somebody, it's gonna raise a lot of questions. And that's why a lot of folks don't wanna talk about their faith to somebody because I don't have the answers. What would you do if you shared your faith and they had questions? What would you do if you didn't have the answers? What would you do? You say you don't have the answers. Gosh, that's a great question, I have no idea. Let's figure that out, you know? I'll talk to some people, maybe you wanna to talk to some people, maybe there's something we could read, let's find out. Now it's an adventure, right? You're growing, not because, you know, you're just going to a study, but because you're in this conversation. It grows your faith. They may never come to faith, 
but it's going to grow your faith. All right, well, the band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And as, as they're getting set up, I just want to close with this, with this last thought. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for the men and women in my life who took the risk, maybe, of having spiritual conversations with me as a teenager and a 20-something young man. I'm so grateful for Mrs. Paul Hemus, the, the high school librarian who would talk to me about her faith. I'm so grateful for a wrestling coach named Bud who talked to me about his faith, what he believed and the questions that, that uh, that raised for me. I'm so glad he had that conversation with me. I'm so glad for Mr. Gillen, a house painter, who had these conversations with me. Or Mr. Newman, a college professor, who would have these conversations with me. I am so grateful because they changed my life. That's the opportunity.